So like Adria mentioned, we're uh, wrapping up our series this, uh, this morning. We've talked about, well, today, after today, we will have talked about the nine parables that Mark records for us uh, from Jesus. And today's parable is pretty appropriate for us to end on because Jesus uh, uses this parable to talk about the end of all things. Not just the end of us, but like doomsday, the apocalypse, just the, the end of everything, the world as we know it. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 13 this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn uh, to that with us. And on the heels of Jesus describing uh, this huge event that's going to change everything for the Israelite nation, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that happens in AD 70, Jesus uses this phrase uh, to describe what's to come next. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but this is really a big statement for what he uh, is about to set up with this parable that we're talking about this morning. And so he says this to describe the end of the world. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And Jesus isn't just using figurative language here. He's he's saying at some point in the future, the actual world is going to end the way that we know it. Heaven and earth is going to be different um, the things that, uh, that you're experiencing here are going to change forever. And so that's coming, and he gets into this parable to talk about what's being ready. Now, what's interesting is that there are a couple different main perspectives among the Israelite nation when it came to the end of the world. There were a couple different kind of ruling class, elite religious leaders and political leaders that existed that had actually very differing views on what was going to happen at the end. There's this group that was in charge of the priestly duties. They were kind of the center of power in Jerusalem, they were called the Sadducees. And the reason that they were sad, you see, there you go, a little memory peg for you, and a groan because you already got a preacher joke, uh, is, is that they didn't believe in the afterlife. So they believed in no resurrection, uh, that basically believed in annihilationism, that there was no life after death, that this was, this was the end. And so they were kind of, they were really ambitious. They wanted to attain as much power and wealth as they possibly could in this life, and that was kind of the way that they lived their lives. The next uh, big ruling kind of influential religious elite class that was there in the Israelite na- nation were the Pharisees, and they did believe in an afterlife or resurrection of sorts, what they believed is that at some point in the future, God was going to redeem the Israelite nation as a whole. They were going to be, um, they're they're scattered at this point. They were all going to be brought together. They were going to be reinstituted as a mighty nation. And then God was going to rule, you know, through them for the rest of the time at that point. Now, you can look at just the Israelite nation at the time and see their ideas of the afterlife. You can look at any religion, even people who don't believe in religion. Some of you may have heard of the doomsday argument that people talk about and look at percentages of population and like when the world is going to end at some point. And there are all kinds of different views about that. You probably have all kinds of different things that you wonder about how all that's going to break down. And Jesus tells the short little story to explain exactly what this is going to be like in Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 32. So here's what he says. About that day, the day that heaven and earth will pass away, about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. 
If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now, depending on how you are feeling today or in your life, those words of Jesus may give you a little bit of trepidation. They may make you a little bit nervous. They may make you happy. I, 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 don't, I don't know where you are this morning, but there has been a long-standing tradition of people, men and women, making themselves somewhat infamous over thousands of years trying to predict the exact time when Jesus will come back. People made a lot of money. People made fools of themselves. You can look at countless examples throughout history of all these kind of dates that some are in the future uh, from today, but uh, most of them have already passed, and we're still here. I don't know if you know, like some of those things haven't happened. I, I do want to give you a heads up, though. Uh, there's a prediction that uh, the world is going to end in August. I don't know if you've heard of this, so just, just in case you want to get ready, uh, apparently there's a big uh, solar eclipse coming. Have you heard of this? August 21st, and it might feel like doomsday if you try to drive to go see it. They're saying it might be like one of the worst traffic jams in American history uh, because of how many people can actually get to it, and, and people have predicted that the world is going to end, and just so you know, you know, maybe it has a little bit of validity because in the 13th century, there's a rabbi that predicted the world was going to end in 2017. So it must be true. So for the record, like it, it, apparently it's coming next month, and so uh, be ready, and, and there you go. All right. Some of us probably aren't really convinced, right? We've had plenty of people predict things, and, and they haven't come true. And then some of us might be thinking, well, didn't Jesus say no one knows the day or the hour? Well, that doesn't, st- that doesn't stop us from trying to figure out the year and the month, right? I mean, maybe there's some other things that we can figure out. And you've seen and probably heard of a ton of Christian uh, pastors who have made lots of money on their doomsday predictions when the world is going to end. And they incite emotional, that emotional response, that fear of not knowing and get a bunch of people to buy a bunch of books and watch a bunch of shows and all the things that they produce about this. And yet they're, they're always wrong. They, they never get it right. They're always talking about these signs that are coming. And when they're not right... They always point back and say, well, I, we were just, just letting you know that this, this is a sign that at some point in the future, heaven and earth is going to pass away. It's like, yeah, like Jesus already said that. <laughs> like he, he already dealt with, with, with that issue. And so one of the things that, that I just hopefully just kind of want to set, set the stage uh, this morning for you in, in your mentality and perspective as you think about the Bible talking about the, the time in which the world is going to end, that's not meant to evoke an emotional response of fear and worry and anxiety in your life. And, and so if you're, if you're kind of bought into or if that's one of the things that you're, you're thinking about or if you're, you're listening to people that are talking about things in, in that way, they do not have a biblical understanding or perspective of what Jesus is communicating to his followers here about the end of the world. Jesus is not asking us to watch to try to figure out when he's coming so then we can get ready. There's there's a little bit of a difference. Like, for example, uh, for our family right now, we're kind of in the uh, call before you come over stage to our house. Maybe you are familiar with that, where uh, we're more likely, if we're not expecting the doorbell to ring, to to scatter than we are to come to the door, uh, just because we're not... Like, you just don't do that anymore, right? The culture is different. you got to send a text or call before. So we, so we can actually, you know, we got three kids. I mean, the house is a wreck. It's just not, it's not ready, which is nothing to do. Like, we pick up 
It has nothing to do with me and Renee, my wife, you know, and like how we clean the house or anything like that. We have three kids and it's all their fault. Uh, but we're, you know, we're just not, we're just not ready for people to just drop by and, and stop in. Like the house isn't in the perfect state that we want it to be. So people can, can look at us and think, oh, you guys, you guys have three kids and you still have it all together perfect and you're, you're amazing, right? Because that's what we want everybody to think about us. Maybe you're the same way. Like we're just not ready for people to stop by. But... One of the things that we have made the decision to do is like regardless of what condition the house is in, we're going to be ready to be hospitable to anyone who does stop by. Or if our friends are coming through and they need a place to stay or if somebody needs to come over because something's going on in their life and they need to share a meal. Like we're, we're going to be willing to kind of put that whole, uh, the house isn't necessarily in perfect uh, shape to accomplish what, what we need to do and, and what our house is, is really Therefore, there's kind of a difference in living our lives, um, being in a perpetual state of needing a heads up before things happen, you know? Like, like one of the things we're not called to is have a, is have a perfect house for when people come over, but we are, we are supposed to use our possessions in a loving and generous and hospitable way, you know? You think about your job and, and kind of how you work. Like, are you, are you always in a perpetual state of needing to know before the boss is about to show up? You know, like, does it, does it make you nervous if the boss were to show up and walk in, in the room? Or, or maybe, like, if a customer were, were to come in, are you, are you constantly wanting to know, oh, man, I can't believe they just walked in because, you know, I'm in the middle of doing something that I don't necessarily want, want them to want to know. Or, or you know, you, you think about your family or relationships. Are you constantly in a state of, of like, hoping that nobody else is watching you without them, them knowing about it? And what Jesus is describing here is, is not, this, not living this life where we're constantly kind of looking over our shoulder, making sure we know who's around us, so then we can perform based on who's there. But, but it's about living our life in the way that God has called us to, regardless of who is watching. When we, when we uh, operate our life in that way, in our job, in our relationships, within our church family, when we live in such a way and when we're alert and we're living the way that God has called us to, we're not only ready for the next big thing that's going to happen in our job, or we're not only ready for a deeper level of intimacy in our relationship, we're not only ready to, to grow in relationship with God, but we're also ready for the assurance of knowing that regardless of when the end is going to come, that you and I are about our Father's business. This is not a, you know, the, Jesus is describing this idea of watching. This is not like hanging out in a waiting room, you know, checking our phone, reading a magazine, and kind of waiting for when he returns. This is, this is not the scenario that Jesus is calling to. He's describing the job expectations of his followers who have willingly aligned themselves, chosen to believe, and chosen the life that he has called us to, and, and giving, giving a description of what that looks like and how we live out our faith. At the top of the list is don't sleep on the job. I mean, that, that, that's, that's part of, the, that's part of the, the process for us being alert and, and watching is to not sleeping on the job. I, I don't know if your company handbook at the job you have like, has this 
in here as their top priority. You can test that out this week and let me know how that, how that goes, what the response is. You know, maybe it's not in your staff handbook at, at the company you work for. Most of us are not getting, uh, you know, paid to sleep on, on the job. I know some of you are going to be like, oh, I, you know, firefighters and, and stuff like that. Uh, but most of us, our, our company, our boss, when they come in, like they're not expecting us to be at the desk propping ourselves up, you know, on the elbow and taking a nap. Like, we probably should have done that before we got to work. But for a lot of people, talking about Jesus saying, be on guard, be alert, and watch, creates nervousness and tension and a fearful view of the second coming of Christ rather than one that brings assurance. Because sometimes we're just not paying attention. We... Admittedly, sometimes we fall asleep on the job, and and of course that's going to happen because we're broken, we're we're sinful people. But but while Jesus is giving a warning to to not do that and to make sure that we're being aware of what's happening in life, he's also letting us know exactly what to do in the meantime so that we'll be ready. And 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 it's this: is that each of us has been charged with and assigned with a task to be done as we wait actively for his return. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to seek God out on what those assigned tasks are for your life. And a lot of times when we talk about this, it, it always comes back to, well, what's the specific call that God has on my life? Like, what are, what are the specific things that he wants me to do? Like, I, maybe I'm not, I don't feel called to, you know, go vocationally into ministry where I'm going to do that every minute of every day of my life where, like, my job is, is, is something different. I'm a teacher. I'm, uh, you know, working at Capital One or something else. It, it's, it's a different thing. So, but what's the specific thing that God wants us to do? And and the specific only comes on the heel of the, the general call that he gives all of us, the assigned tasks that he shares with all of us to do. And here, here's what I mean by that. There are some things that very specifically, I, you and I might sit down and we might talk about what's going on in your life and where does God want me next? Like, what's the next job? What's the next promotion? Like, what should I do here, here, here? And we might come down to the conclusion that, well, like, we don't know. I don't know, like there's not necessarily this, this advice that I could give you that could tell you exactly what the next step is in your life, but I can tell you exactly what God calls all of us to be faithful to in our assigned tasks in this life. The first one is that we're all called to um, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives the great commission to all of us where he says, hey, one of the things that you're going to do, one of your assigned tasks on the top of your list is to make disciples of other people. Share the gospel with others so they know who Jesus is, so they can look forward expectantly with joy to his second coming along with you. The other thing, the other assigned task that he gives us that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like I can let you know this is the thing that you're called to do and supposed to be doing in your life, is, is being an active um, living part of the body of Christ in, in his family. Like that's one of your assigned tasks in, your, in, your, in this life. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul describes exactly what this looks like, that, that we're supposed to be equipped for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's then, as he continues on in verse 14 of chapter 4, Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and be blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. I like to throw in, uh, like for today, our purposes, the people who spend a lot of time 
time talking about the end times, but not about what God calls us to do right now. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we disciple others, as we, as we join in in the body of Christ, we're meant to grow and build this family, both here and globally, up in love as each part does its work. So you're assigned task. I'll tell you exactly what it is right, right now. Your assigned task is to faithfully serve God in whatever position you're in now. And, and a lot of times we get stuck on the, well, what's, what's coming next? Like, I, I need to know, like, I'm not really excited about the position I'm, I'm in now. And so we don't think about the ways that we can faithfully serve God in the moment, in the here and now. We want to think about the future. But whether you're single or you're married, you're married with kids, whether you're a boss, you're a subordinate, you know, you have peers, whatever, you're a student, you're a teacher, your watchfulness and your alertness when it comes to Jesus saying watch and be our guard is, is measured by what you're doing right now. Not about what your intentions are in the future. When Jesus returns, it's not going to be like, oh, you see, what happened was, you know, in, in five years, like this was a part of my five-year plan. I was going to, I was going to plan on, on following you a, a little bit better and paying attention more to, you know, what you've already called me to do. I, I was trying to get some personal stuff, you know, figured out. Well, it's not personal. It's about what God wants to do in and through us. This is why... It's, it's, a little interesting because this is why none of this is supposed to produce any worry, anxiety, or fear because we're not supposed to be looking out to what might happen in the future but dealing with the here and now and the task that God has given us and, and helping us to fulfill right now. Ironically, Jesus is giving this parable about not sleeping on the job and in Mark chapter 14, um, he has a scenario in which his, his disciples literally fall asleep on him. Jesus is traveling, they're, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is the night that he's, uh, Judas is on his way uh, as his portrayer, and he's bringing all the, the clubs and the pitchforks and the torches and the people that are coming to arrest Jesus, and Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He brings his disciples with him, he asks them to hang out right, right over here, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to pray, and, and, and Jesus is, is uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually going through the most heavy, difficult part of his life, and he says, hey, what I need you guys to do right now more than anything in the world is to just be present with me and pray with me right now. So Jesus goes off a little. This is in Mark chapter 14. Jesus says, sit here while I pray, and Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and he says, stay here and keep watch. So he goes off and he and prays, and he's talking to God. He's like, man, if there's any other way than being crucified, like I'd, I'd love for us to come up with a, a different scenario, a different plan. He comes back to check on the disciples. They're what? They're, they're sleeping. They've completely, they've completely missed the significance of what God has called them to do. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, has asked them specifically to partner with him in preparation for him sacrificing himself for their sins, for our sins, for the sins, for the sins of the world. And they're sleeping on the job. I, I wonder, 
I, I wonder if there's a point in their life in the future, after Jesus' resurrection, as, as, they're, fo- as, they're, as they're following Christ, if, if they think about that and they think maybe they're getting frustrated because they're talking to you know, their church or their congregation, they're discipling someone. It's like, man, you're just not getting it. You're not living the way that God has called you to, and you're worried about all these other distractions and these things. And I wonder if they ever think back to this time as like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I was kind of there at, at some point in my life, too, where I'm just caught sleeping on the job. This happens multiple times in, in this scenario with Jesus and his disciples. And if, if you're in a place in your life where you, you don't feel great about the situation you're in right now, you're not excited about your current prospects or your assigned task, let me, let, let me kind of explain what, what happens when we approach life in that way. We, we become apathetic. And we become complacent when we're not expecting God to do anything in our lives. Jesus, when he's with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and they're falling asleep on him, they're not really expecting anything to happen. If they knew that Judas was coming with all the crowds of people, I mean, their adrenaline would have been pumping. They would have been a little bit sweaty. They would have been trying to figure out a plan, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. When we're apathetic and complacent in our life about the situation that we're in right now, it's because we're not expecting God to do anything with that. We're not expecting him to, uh, to work in and through that situation in our life. And it shows up in how we approach our life. You know, there's, there's a few different ways that we can approach our job, right? The first way is that we can have a job that gives us a paycheck that we're miserable at and we can't wait for the weekend so we can do all the things that distract us from how miserable we are in our job. And then we start the cycle on, you know, the next Monday. Then the second scenario is we have, we have a job and, and it, it really just helps to, it helps to support the hobby, you know, the passion that we really have, the thing that we wish we could get paid, paid for. And we, we're looking forward to retirement so we can do that, you know, full time all the other time. You know, the, the first scenario, we're looking forward to retirement because we don't want to do anything. Like we're, we're, just, we're just apathetic. We're complacent about all these things. We just, don't, we, we, just wanna, we just want rest. Right? We don't want to have to do anything. The third scenario is, and, and this doesn't happen for all of us, and, and that's perfectly fine, but you end up doing for your job like what you are passionate about and what you do wish that you got paid for. And you, you know, your, your retirement is probably going to be continuing to do the same thing that's, that you've been doing. None of us have to be in category number one. Like none, none of us are, are called to the, this type of apathy and complacency that doesn't, doesn't bring about any, any significance. God, God calls us to significance in the task that he's assigned us and charged us with, with. In the case of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, they miss the significance of the distress and the, the weightiness of, the, of what is about to happen with Jesus because they're not caring about what he's called them to do to prepare them for what's to come next. In our case, we miss the significance of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, our salvation, when we sleep on the job and, and don't prepare ourselves for what's coming next by being faithful with, with what's happening now. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, after um, the, the sacrifice of Jesus is described, um, we read this, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? I think the nervousness that comes for us 
when it comes to looking forward to Jesus returning has to do with these consci- the, our consciousness from the acts that lead to death that haven't been cleansed yet. You know, the ways that in which we, we haven't removed those and made room for what God has called us to do and the faithfulness that he has asked us to be a part of. If you want to be alert to the task that God has given you to be prepared for his coming, follow him in what you know, you'd never want to be re- retired from. And the, the passion that he's laid on, on your heart. And that doesn't mean, you know, we get, to, we get to get rid of, like, the general call that he gives us. Like, it, it starts there, but it helps us to, to find out and to discover the specific call that he has on our lives so he can work that out in and through us. Long story short, we're supposed to expect the unexpected return of Jesus, to, to live as though Jesus is coming soon because he is. That, that's the prediction of Scripture, by the way. Like, when is Jesus, when is Jesus coming? Well, he's coming soon. Yeah, but it's been, it's been a couple, a couple thousand, thousand years since he's returned. Yeah, but time is a little bit different in God's perspective than it is in ours. When is Jesus coming back? Well, he's coming soon. And he calls us, in his story of redemption in the Bible, to, to not just read history, but to, to live out the history and the future that he has for our stories. For, for us to, uh, to individually, as we live out our assigned tasks and as we are joined together as the body of Christ, that it, that it joins together and it builds itself up in love so that so it's not just us looking forward joyfully and expectantly to the second coming of Christ, but so that others can as well. That's why our third rule is everyone's story matters as you come in. It's kind of an introductory thing, but it's also something that we, we try to live out as a, as a church as well, is that what God is doing in and through you right now, not what he might be doing in the, in the future, matters not only to what he has for your life, but what he has for the lives of those that are around you in your life. Every week at Velocity, we, we, uh, we celebrate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We do that by taking communion with each other. Um, it's, the Bible talks about this as, as being uh, as, as a meal that, that we share, a celebratory meal that at some point we're going to share again with Jesus as, as, we're, as we're present, like as we, as we think about how God is, is trying to move right now in our life. It helps us to uh, push away the distractions, whatever we came in with this morning and focus on uh, what is meant to inspire us and how we complete what God has given for us to do in this life. And so we're going to share in that uh, this morning right now. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for um, giving us a purpose, giving us significance in this life. And thank you for spelling uh, out what that is for us as, we, uh, as we're faithful to the call that you give uh, to all of us. It helps us to see and identify specifically what you have for us in this life. We ask that you, um, as you promised through your Holy Spirit, to help us and guide us into that. Help us to see the opportunities that we have to live out what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name.